Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast, Paul's 50 years of sporting memories. In this podcast, I will talk about my favourite sporting memories over the past 50 years with my good friend Glenn. It covers a wide range of sports and the triumphs and heartaches along the way. In each episode, we will go back in time to talk about my memories from a particular year. This is Paul Tonner. Welcome to this episode of Paul's 50 Years of Sporting Memories. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see you. <laughs> he was um, up in Fairland there for a bit. Uh, so how's your sporting week been? <laughs> Do you want to start again? No. Nah, nah, ah, nah, turn nah, it up. Nah. <laughs> it's I was right. off with the Pixies. Uh, <laughs> that'll teach you. Probably, he probably was seeing if my, my next door neighbour turned turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my sporting week. Oh, it's been good this weekend. Parramatta flogged the Broncos on Friday night, 46 to 6. Yeah. They're playing in Darwin. Yeah. And I thought, why do they want to take a game to Darwin? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they do it every year. They play one of their home games. They take it away, yeah, Darwin. Yeah, yeah, it's the same with the Suns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot, lot of the um, NRL teams do it now. Like, yeah, Penrith always play a, one of their home games in Bathurst. And yeah. um, I think the West Tigers take, take a game to Mudgee. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good, you know, people in the bush getting to uh, watch live action. I know when I lived in Dubbo, it was awesome because yeah. uh, they had the city country game yeah. in Dubbo one year. And, yeah, it was great. Yeah, that, know, they had a brand new grandstand there. and Yeah. That, was, yeah, yeah that, that, they did it that once or maybe twice at, um, in Port Macquarie. Oh, yep, at yeah. The, at the Hip Hop Stadium, they, mm. they build a brand new stadium. That's right. For it. Yeah. Well, yeah, they've played city country games there. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, I don't agree. Well, they don't play the city country fixture anymore. Yeah. Like it was uh, like a uh, a trial, you know, to select the New South Wales team. But it got to the stage after many years it wasn't. You know, so, yeah. but it, it was good because, you know, people in the bush in Wagga and Dubbo and Mudgee and Orange, you know, they got to experience first grade rugby league. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, whether it comes back now, I, I doubt it, but, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's a lot more, you know, to set up and... Mm. But then again, Darwin's a long way away. Yeah, I'm surprised they take a game up there. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. That's more an AFL stronghold up that way. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but even putting together a broadcast up there. Mm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, because I don't know about the networks, whether they've got the gear or whether they've got to send trucks up with the gear and, yeah. and follow it around. But, that, but they... They do it with the motorsport. Yeah, paid a lot of money. What? One of the rounds of the at the V8 supercars is in Darwin. That's right. So yeah, they cover that as well. Also, one of the other rounds is out at Ipswich, which is mm. 
way west of Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. And you know, to carry all that sort of gear around. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's one of the reasons why, you know, with the Papua New Guinea side, they don't show any of their home games on TV. Yeah. Because it costs too much money yeah. to, you know, get all the uh, the equipment up there. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, Everton beat Arsenal 1-0. Yeah. <laughs> They've still got no crowds over there yeah. in the EPL. Yeah. But how's your sporting week been, Glenn? Oh, it's good. Just uh, tell you what, the old um, AFL's off to a raging start. Mm, swans have come crashing down to earth. Yeah, against the the, the, the mighty Gold Coast Suns. Yep. What was it? About 60 points. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a flogging. Yeah. Yeah. So Melbourne, yeah. how good are they going? Undefeated. Yeah. The Demons. Yeah. Yeah, beat Richmond. Yeah, no, didn't just beat them, beat them well. Yeah, it's going to be. It's, I think it's going to be a really exciting mm. season. Uh, well, especially after last year's, you know, with yeah, the, when the virus came in and all the moving around. Oh, exactly. Everything going to coming to the to the Gold Coast. Yeah, well, um, it's a very special day today. Yeah, it's Anzac Day. It's a day where uh, Australians and New Zealanders, on the 25th of April every year, they pay tribute to the soldiers who fought in the First World War, Second World War, yeah. and some of the other wars that we're fought in. Yeah. And, yeah, like uh, I remember going to Gallipoli in 1999. Yeah. I've got a uh, ceramic here, uh-huh. uh, which I brought back from Gallipoli all those years ago, and it's got a... A picture of a Anzac soldier yeah. and a Turkish soldier. Yeah. I think that's at a Turk in the middle. He was the Turkish leader at the time. Yeah. And yeah, I'll read it out. Those heroes that shed their blood and lost their lives, you are now living in the soul of a friendly country. Therefore, rest in peace. There is no difference between the Johnnies and the Mehmets. To us, where they lie side by side, there in this country of ours, you, the mothers, who sent their sons from far away countries, wipe away your tears. Your sons are now living in our bosom and are in peace. After having lost their lives on this land, they have become our sons as well. That's from Ataturk, 1934. Yeah. Actually, uh, when I was in in Turkey in 1999, I went to Ankara, which is the capital, and went to uh, Ataturk's tomb. Yeah, but no, the thing I was really impressed when I went to Gallipoli is uh, you know, just the respect that the Turks have, yeah. you know, for the Anzacs. Yeah. Although they were fighting against each other. Yeah, um, yeah just enormous respect. Yeah. And I saw in the news last night, because I remember I got a boat over to the island, and, yeah, they're building this massive bridge. And a lot of um, Australians have gone over there to help the Turks build it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, huge. Yeah. Oh, it's like one of the biggest bridges you've ever seen in yeah. your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to connect it so, you know, it's easy to get over uh, there. Uh, yeah, so that mm. not using boats. 
Yeah, then also I went to the uh, the Western Front in France. Yeah, that was in 2015. Oh yeah, and yeah, that was just incredible. Like I've got like a brochure here. It's in French, but it's yeah, just uh, talking about some of the famous World War One battlefields. Let's so, say so Villers Bretonneux. Bretonneux. That's mm. very famous Australian one. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, they have a lot of respect for the Australians there because they helped save their town yeah. at the time. And yeah. So I remember going into some of the museums and walking around the the cemeteries there and the oh, yeah. memorials and yeah. you know, you've got Pozier, like many Australians lost their lives there and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, just amazing. And the difference is like in Gallipoli that there's not you know, with the trenches, there's well from what I remember, yeah. there wasn't much left. Yeah. You know, but the trenches on the, the Western Front are quite well preserved still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. No, nah, just, um, just amazing. And it's just beautiful countryside. Yeah. You know, like, and you just, you're looking at it and you just think, my God. You know, there was, yeah. about 100 years ago, there was all this bloodshed and yeah. bombs going off everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You just can't imagine it. You know, yeah. it's such a... A beautiful place of the in the world, and uh. yeah, so uh, yeah, and this bullet here I brought back from the the World War One battlefields on France. Uh. It's a bullet, and they're still like today. I remember when I was there, they had all these people digging, and you know, it's their job. They dig up, and they uh. they're still, you know, all these years later, uh. over a hundred years later, they're uh. still digging up. But, yeah, yeah, bullets and, and that, yeah. yeah, other weapons, you know, yeah. from from the war, and this is a bullet from World War One. Yeah, mm. is yeah. It, so it's, is it unexploded or <laughs> <laughs> just don't drop it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a soft floor. It looks here. pretty safe to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a soft floor here, so. <laughs> Yeah, it shouldn't do any damage. No, they wouldn't have sold it if it was live. Yeah. I can't remember what I paid for it. Yeah. It wasn't much, but, yeah, they've actually got souvenir shops there where they sell, you know, a lot of the, um, yeah, bullets and yeah. other stuff. Yeah. There, there was, um, in Port Macquarie, there was a, a place built by convicts mm. called um, Innes Manor. Oh yep, and the the bricks made by the convicts, they actually had their um, initials graved into it. Yeah, when they, as they were making the bricks. Oh right, and I actually because I found one when I was swimming in the lake. Yeah, just felt it, and I went down there and dug it out, mm. and I thought, oh, this is a convict brick, so. I'd, I dragged it out and planted it in the bush. Yeah. So I thought, I'll grab it and take it when I go home. But by the time I got back out of the water, it was gone. Is that right? Someone had seen me, obviously seen me Jeez. put it there and thought, oh, yeah, because <laughs> cause they were all, um, they were real collectibles, but because... But, mm. uh, uh, 
many years ago, national parks took over the whole area, and it was it became illegal to own a convict brick. Jeez. And I found this down the lake, which is mm. thirty k's from the house. Gee. And I thought, oh yeah, I'll sneak that back home, but it was gone. Convict brick, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Someone was spying on you. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get away with much in a small town like Lake mm. Calais. Yeah, well, last few years, you know, Anzac Day's been a quite affair, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, with the uh, pandemic. Yeah. yeah well, well, it was really growing each mm. year, Yeah, going over to Gallipoli and, mm. you know, like travellers, packages being book, booked out yeah. years in advance. Mm. And then no yeah, crowds are allowed there at all. Now so. COVID's come in and mm. that's all over for, yeah. for now. So we hope that it all mm. comes back to um, some normality of people able to travelling over there. Mm. Have yeah. you um, got any family from the past that have um, gone to war? Or? No, um They've been through the war. They um, mm. my grandmother travelled from England to Australia during mm. the around the war time. Um, but my grandfather on my father's side, I don't know whether he saw action, but I, re- I remember Dad telling me that he was taught by a lot of. Guys that went to war and came back mm. and got back into teaching. Right. And on how strict they were. And he used to say it was a privilege to be taught by by a return vet. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, I've, I've met them in the past, Vietnam vets. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a handcrafted knife from a Vietnam vet. Oh, okay. That, that, yeah. that when he came from back from Vietnam, mm. he handcrafted 450 of these knives. Yeah. And he had, which he gave out to people that he knew, and he kept one himself. And he was that impressed of me going out there and working around his place, even though I had cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, that he gave it to me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well I um on my side, yeah, my one of my mother's uncles, he was a fighter pilot. Yeah. He was shot down and killed over Sicily. Yeah. Yeah, and I went to Sicily in two thousand and seven on a oh, I was on a cruise around the Mediterranean. Yeah. And yeah, if I had more time in Sicily I would have liked to have found out where his grave was. Oh, yeah. But um yeah, like um, <laughs> Keith Miller, the famous Australian cricketer, you know, the all-rounder. He was a fighter pilot and f- fighter pilot in World War Two, and he fought against the Germans. Yeah. And someone asked him years ago, you know, after he retired, and oh, you know, what's pressure? Was there much pressure when you were on the cricket field? How did you deal with it? And he'd go, Keith Miller would go, pressure. That's not <laughs> pressure. Pressure's when you've got a, a Messerschmitt up your backside. <laughs> yeah. the, the, 
Yeah, there yeah. is there is um Doc Neeson from the Angels. Mm. He was going over uh is it Afghanistan or any anyway, one of those um wars that you know, in recent times, even though um Doc's been gone for a while. He he was going over there and um he was in this Hercules plane. Yeah. One of the big ones. And then all of a sudden it started to bank. Well, the pilot came on and said, oh, just make sure your seatbelt's tight and hang on. And then this thing starts to bank and it's turning and it even does a, a 360. Yeah. And as it's doing the 360 and the plane's up and down, Dot Neeson looks out the window and sees this missile go past. Yeah. And, um, yeah, apparently someone had fired a heat-seeking missile Gee. at the bloody aircraft. But this pilot had this big bloody, you know, how big those carriers are, was tossing around like a bloody paper airplane. <laughs> and, yeah, it just kept this cool. And, you know, and Doc said that he felt, he, he gained a lot more respect for them. Mm. He had respect for them, but to be able to get a plane that size. So he, he was over there performing, was he? Yeah. Yeah. He went over there to um, entertain the troops. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, the, the, the Angels hit song, Am I Ever Going to See a Face <laughs> Again? That went off like a rocker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so today we go back to the year 1986. Now, I was 15 years of age and I was very very heavily involved in playing cricket. <laughs> so I began playing cricket against men in the Blue Mountains competition. Yeah. And if during the week I'd be playing indoor cricket, you know, two or three games a week. And I remember I, I, I played my um, first ever rep game and we were playing Dubbo. Yeah. And I remember... You know, they batted first and they smashed us all over the place. Got about 360 off 50 overs. That's, yeah. that's normal for today, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, um, yeah, I remember going out to bat and, yeah, I'd had a really good season, you know, in the juniors and, uh, yeah, I went in like first drop from memory. Yeah. I remember one end, like the first ball I faced, I hit for four. And I was feeling really good. And I remember the crease. I looked at the crease when I was taking guard the next uh, up the other end. Uh, and it didn't look right. Uh, I thought, that's not the normal length of the crease, but, you know, the distance between the, the batting <laughs> crease and the wicket. That looks too small. Uh, and, yeah, I took guard and I thought, oh, well, I better get on with it. Uh, next ball, I've hit the ball for four. Uh, <laughs> I've bloody stepped on my stumps. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out for four. Yeah. And that was my introdu- introduction to uh, rep yeah. cricket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my son was about four or five. Yeah. And we were out at a park for Mother's Day and I had a pitch there. And he, he watched everyone play and... And my mother said, oh, do you want to have a turn, Greg? Mm. He, and he lit, lit up like a 
Bill Spark. And and what he did, yeah, he went out there, he walked out with the bat like they do on the in the test. And he gets out there and he's he's looking at the pitch and he's getting the bat and he's he's like knocking down the at the the stones in the pitch. Yeah. And he and anyway, me my father was bowling and he went to bowl him his first ball and he looked at and it, you know, when they go to when they step back, you know, when they let that ball go go, he he was doing that sort of thing. Mm. So he let the first ball go through to the keeper and then so the second ball and it was only four or five and he just hooked it. Yeah. And he just smashed it. <laughs> it, it was a tennis ball but it cleared everyone. Really? Yeah. How old was he? Four four or five. Four or five. Yeah. Bloody hell. But there's always been someone that that studies stuff. It doesn't he doesn't go out and then try it. Physically, yeah. he watches it and he puts it all together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he just, because he'd been watching cricket with me on TV. Uh, yeah. Taking it all in. And, and that, so, yeah. That's amazing. Interesting yeah. time. So, yeah, 1986, I nearly drowned in the surf at <laughs> Port Stephens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember I was with my mate and my dad and, this beach was just dangerous, you know. Like yeah. People had drowned there before. And, yeah. And I was just, you know, at the edge of the water there yeah. and just a couple of metres in from the shore. But the waves are so big, you're constantly diving yeah. underneath them. Yeah. You can Next thing I know, I'm bloody 30, 40 metres out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I've never been a, a strong swimmer, but oh boy, <laughs> what was that day? Yeah. <laughs> it was adrenaline who got me back yeah. to the shore and yeah. my dad's given me a lesson of, you know, what to do when you're caught in a rip. Yeah, <laughs> he showed me on the sand, this is what you, this is what you should have done. That, and I said, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> fuck that, that, I'm just swimming back. That, that all goes out the out of the brain when you yeah. in the panic situation. We really ended up in New Zealand. Yeah, because <laughs> we used to we used to stop off quite regularly when we had was taking mm. the the boat up and down the east coast. We used to yeah. stop at Port oh, it's a Beautiful spot of the world, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, my um, family and they still have my parents. have got a holiday unit there, uh, and I used to go there all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now it might be once a decade if I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you got any memories of the year 1986? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this this morning. About, well, I, I was 19 and living in Lake Coe, which was a small village. And, yeah. And Haley's Comet was around. That's right. Yep. And, and being outside the bowling club and drinking, waiting for the seed at night and that. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh mate, we got uh, yeah, even stories of get out the mischief. On. Is it every seventy five years? Yeah, his comment. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, because I remember, you know, it was the big news at the time, and yeah. my parents waking me up at night. You know, I was living in Lura. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and oh, oh, Haley's comments out. It's in the sky. You know, it's about. Two o'clock in the morning, yeah. and I go out and I'm looking. Oh, is that all it is? 
Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the times it was, it was visible, we were down the club. Yeah. And the club was closing, so we went and brought about six beers each. Mm. And we just sat, sat out in the bowling green just to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah like... Um I guess we'll be around for the next one. <laughs> yeah. I won't be getting too excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, but... but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, back in 1986, there wasn't the internet or anything really... No. ...entertaining, so it was a big deal for... But I remember playing lots of games on my Commodore 64 computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, start of the year there w- there was the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. Do you remember that, Glenn? Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, they had a, a oh, there was a crew of about seven or so, and one of them was a teacher. She'd won a competition. Christine McAuliffe, her name was. Yeah, and there was really sick jokes going on at the time. Like I won't say them, but uh, yeah, that was just so tragic. You know, like. Um, I went to Cape Canaveral in 1999 when I was doing that worldwide trip and yeah. oh, it's just amazing, yeah. amazing place. Uh, yeah, but it yeah, exploded about, oh, about 90 seconds yeah. after it had taken off and, and the whole program of uh, the space shuttle was put on hold for a while. Yeah. Mm. But also there was the uh, Soviet nuclear reactor at Chernobyl which exploded and caused the release of radioactive material across much of Europe. Yeah, so today it's actually in Ukraine. And when I went to Ukraine in 2015, I was living in Kiev. I mean, staying in Kiev. I wouldn't want to live there. The place is a a bit of a dump. But... (laughs) Yeah, but Chernobyl isn't too far away, and it's just this. I was going to go on a tour there, but uh, yeah, I just got so <laughs> fed up with the place. Uh, and, um, but yeah, it would have been interesting to see. Yeah, yeah well, it's, well, it's completely desolated now. Yeah, well, a couple of guys in the Gold Coast. One works on radio, and he went yeah. for a holiday there yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, you know, because I was saying that uh, no one's about to go there. Yeah, but it was all—it's all regrown. The forest is mm. back, and yep. nature's taken it back over in less time than. Oh, is that right? Than what they thought it would be, and the radiation is gone. There was a story this week about the Chinese, the Japanese government releasing water from one of their reactors into the ocean. Oh, really? So I don't know why. Gosh, they can't go and pump it somewhere. Hmm. Instead I don't have much respect for marine life, do they? Uh, well, apparently the, their fishing industry is taken in the court mm. to stop them from doing it. Yeah, so they should. Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so in music, there was songs like Papa Don't Preach by Madonna, Walk Like an Egyptian by The Bangles, Venus by Banana Rama. I saw them on 60 Minutes recently. Yeah. <laughs> Rama, all these years later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they still look good. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Yeah. Can you remember any songs from that year, Glenn? Oh, well, 1986 was big for John Farnham. 
He released right. so much stuff. Yeah, was it Whispering Jack the album? Yeah, yeah. And also um, John Williamson, the 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 Bush ballot performer. Yeah, he brought out Diggers of the Anzac. True Blue, uh, off the album True Blue. Yeah, but but the but the song is Digger of the Anzac. Mm. And yeah, True Blue was released on the same album. Of course, it was yeah the title track of there and um, Crowded House. They started to come out a lot. More. That's right. Yeah. So they're like a half Aussie, half New Zealand band, aren't they? Yeah, well, they're, they're actually half. Well, they're, um, they're even half. Well, they're declared Australian, but there's Australians and New Zealanders and Americans in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the keyboard player and the drummer from America. Yeah. But they haven't been playing. Um, yeah, the last year or so because of COVID. Mm. But some some uh, of the members were from Split Ends, weren't they? Well, it was um, mainly Neil Finn. That's right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Nick Seymour was from Split, mm. Split Ends, but there was all, yeah, because the original drummer was Paul Hester. Mm. He's passed away. He, he yeah. um, unfortunately took his own life. Yeah. Um, but Neil's sons, Liam and Leroy, Elroy, sorry, um, they both played an instrument. Oh, okay. And during the lockdown last year, they were doing a few sessions from home. Yeah. That were um, live. Some of them were live, and some of mm. them were pre-recorded. They did a big concert outside Sydney Opera House yeah. one year, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Whether well, their final, that's right, final yeah. tours. But but as I was, you know, like John Farnham, you know, he he came, he released so many songs and mm. came so so well known. But he also became the well known for. The Comeback King. Yeah. How many final tours has John yeah. Farnham done? And, oh, yeah, I'm going in retirement and then a year or two later, oh, yeah, he's doing another tour. Yeah, that's right. And on it went. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so in film there was the movie Top Gun, Crocodile Dundee, that put Australia on the world stage, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and the local video shop was a popular place. I remember with lots of regular trips there to rent movies out. And yeah. I remember the guy at the video shop would go and he'd say, oh, you tonners are going to get square eyes the way you're going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to just oh, just watch so many movies, you know, especially school holiday time. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I remember when the videos videos. Stores first came out, you had to either leave your license. No, yeah, first off, you had to sign up, didn't you? No, no back this was years ago, mm. you had to leave your license with them, really. But but then, if you got pulled up by the police on the way home, yeah, you get booked. Yeah. So, so that I think they end up going to court. 
and then they changed it. Oh, you gotta, you gotta make a hundred dollar deposit. Gee, to, to rent the movies because <laughs> I, you know, that, that they must have been so expensive to, for the stores to buy. Mm. Yeah, to, to rent them compared yeah, I reckon. To, compared to now, and you couldn't leave them in the car. Remember, yeah, like oh, I did that the, once, and the, the, they were like gold. They <laughs> had to come back in the same condition as they left, and they, they had to be rewound. And but that's uh, the annoying thing, yeah. Like you had to rewind it, yeah. But you know, it didn't matter how good the movie was; you'd always have to bloody return it. <laughs> Yeah, get in your car and return it to the shop. Yeah, well, you know, like Port Macquarie, where we lived in Cairo was about 20 minutes south of Port Macquarie, so Mm. you had to drive all the way back in. Yeah. yeah. Well, I only know one video shop that's open now. Yeah. Yeah, the one in uh, Coomba Bar. Yeah. Yeah, but they're all kiosks now. Yeah. Generally, or you just watch it online. Yeah well, yeah, well, that's it. Mm. Yeah, or or the um, the the Netflix or Prime Video, yeah, yeah. the amount of streaming services that are, mm. that are coming out. I I watched um a movie that I thought was very funny during the week called Good Luck Chuck. What happened to him when he was younger, teenager? This girl wanted to go out with him, but because he wasn't interested, she put a curse on him. Yeah, that every girlfriend that he um, met, he could never have a relationship with. And the, and then the first, the next guy that the girl met, she would marry. So yeah. she, the, the, this got around. And they ended up having all these girls <laughs> turning up so that they would sleep with him. So then the next time, the next day or so, they would meet their, yeah. their perfect partner. Oh, that needs to happen to us. I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing was that he, couldn't, he could never have a relationship himself mm. because once he'd already slept with someone, yeah. they would then find someone else. Mm. So when he did find someone... He wouldn't sleep with them, and and they got upset because he didn't want to lose. I wouldn't mind watching that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now we're up to our who who am I segment now, Mm-mm. and this sportsman of oh, in the eighties, he was one of my real favourites. Yeah, and he was as courageous as they come. Okay, here we go. I was born in Melbourne in 1965. My father played for Hawthorne AFL side in the 1950s. I came to the public's attention as a promising junior tennis player in the early 80s and was ranked the number one junior player in 1981. I turned professional in 1982 and won my first top-level singles title that year. In 1983, I became the youngest player to play in a Davis Cup final and was a key member in the team that defeated Sweden. 1984 was a big year for me as I made the semi-finals at Wimbledon and the US Open. In 1986, I helped Australia regain the Davis Cup and I made my first singles final when I was runner-up at the Australian Open. 
1987, I won the men's singles title at Wimbledon, defeating the great Ivan Lendl, and climbed into the stands to celebrate with my family and my coach. The following year, I was a runner-up at the Australian Open, the first played at Melbourne Park. I am... The answer will be revealed later on. Okay. Now we've got another new segment. segment. Oh, yeah. They're coming out. This segment is called... Where Where are they they now? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Two of my favourite sportsmen of all time. They're absolute Parramatta legends. Mm -hmm. And they both retired in 1986. And their last game was for Parramatta in the 1986 Grand Final. That was Parramatta's last ever premiership. And they were Ray Price, Mr Perpetual Motion himself, and Mick Crow. Mick Cronin. The Crow was his nickname. And he was, Mick Cronin was considered the real gentleman of rugby league, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so they both had, you know, just tremendous careers, played for Australia, you know, lots of test matches for Australia and, um, you know, there's a photo of them there holding the Winfield Cup in their last game, Bob Hawke. And, yeah, so Parramatta won the, that grand final four points to two. Mm. Against their arch rival Canterbury. Yeah. Now in the eighties, Parramatta and Canterbury were the the two top sides. They both won four premierships each. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah, nineteen eighty six. I remember Cronin. He missed most of the season because he this was due to a serious eye injury that he got in a pre season game. Like he went to go tackle, <laughs> went to go tackle someone, and Mark Laurie. His fellow um, player accidentally elbowed him in the eye, and oh, he, you know, his career was pretty much over then. Yeah. Basically, he was blind, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he came back later in the year and he kicked those two penalty goals, which uh, got Parramatta over the line to win the grand final. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the lowest ever grand final score, yeah, to this day. And, a few years earlier, 1984, Canterbury defeated Parramatta in the grand final, six points to four. Yeah. So, yeah. Jeez, they were tough games back then. Oh, you yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. You know, with the five-metre rule and, yeah. yeah, it was a real grind. Um, yeah, but with the, with the uh, 1986 grand final as well, Mick Cronin nearly didn't – he nearly didn't make it that day. Because yeah. he uh, – he lived in Jerangong, which is down near Wollongong, you know, about 100 kilometres yeah. south of Sydney. Because yeah. he owned the pub down there and he, he still owns it today. Yeah. Yeah, and so he used to do all that travelling every day, you know, up and back. Yeah. To training and go to the matches. And that day of the grand final, I remember it well because I was playing indoor cricket that morning. Um, yeah, and it was a real oh, misty day. You know, like, and it was raining and, yeah, so he's driving up the highway there and there was this massive car pile-up on the, on the uh, what, what is it? Is it the F1 or the F3? I'm not sure what the road is down there. From Wollongong to um, yeah. Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. 
But, uh, yeah, he had to get a police escort to the ground so yeah. he could get there in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he, he travelled to, to Sydney. You know, he played for Parramatta, I think it was over 10 years. So that's a lot of driving. You know? It sure is. Yeah, but it was a great year for Parramatta that yeah. year. They won the minor premiership and they also won the midweek competition. So, mm. yeah, that was big back then, you know, the midweek competition. They don't have it today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, they always used to play it on a Wednesday night and, yeah, it was great to watch. Yeah. Yeah, but beginning of the year, uh, Parramatta Stadium opened. So when Parramatta won their grand final in their first premiership in 1981, they were playing at Cumberland Oval and it was the biggest dump of a ground. Like I remember my dad taking me there when I was a little kid and yeah. you know you get splinters up your backside and <laughs> oh, it was it was a miserable place yeah. yeah so they burnt down that grandstand and because uh, they were rebuilding Parramatta you know, they were going to put it this uh, new stadium there and yeah. that opened in 1986 and yeah. yeah for four years Parramatta had to play at Canterbury's home ground yeah. Elmore Sports Ground yeah, yeah, so they were nomads for four years. Uh, yeah, but they still won a couple of premierships. and um, Yeah, but that's Parramatta Stadium. They knocked that down about 30 years later and the stadium they've got there now, yeah. which they've they re- rebuilt a whole new stadium. That's uh, just state of the art, you know. Yeah. Like, that's on my bucket list. We'll have an episode one day of Paul's bucket list, <laughs> and that's on there. Paul, Paul, Paul to visit Bankwest Stadium yeah. in Parramatta to watch a Parramatta home match. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, it's just got the best atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, because the uh, the stands are very steep. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. So today. What's really? happening with Ray Price and Mick Cronin today? So Ray Price, he lives in northern New South Wales with his wife Sandy. He's 68 years of age. Mm. He's a regular on the local golf courses and still acti- and is still actively involved in, involved in charity work for organisations. Yeah. This includes the Men of League. So the Men of League's an organisation where... You know, former players, they'll help out players that are in need. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember Johnny Peard, you know, he was a former great player, played for Australia and Eastern Suburbs and Parramatta. I remember when he was on really hard times, I think, you know, he'd had some bad strokes and, yeah, yeah they all got together and helped him, and you know, with, with uh, money and, yeah, it's a wonderful... Wonderful charity. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he and his wife both battled the same cancer. Yeah. Yeah, It was a uh, life-threatening melanoma. Uh Yeah, but they seem to uh, be pulling through it. But Ray Price has been in the news a lot lately because he's battled some dementia. Yeah. And this has been a problem with, you know, especially in in American football with the – High number of head knocks to yeah, players. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of players are dying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, years later they're getting dementia, they're losing their memory, and yeah. some of them sadly have taken their own life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Ray Price, he's uh, been battling with it lately, and he's, you know, 
not just himself but other players, they've donated their brain to science. Yeah. When they pass away for their yeah. their brain to be looked at. Yeah. You know. To determine the impact of uh, what concussion has, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. from football injuries, how it relates to dementia later on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh man, he was as tough as they come. Played rugby union for Australia as well. Yeah, before he started playing rugby league. Yeah, because but oh, back in his day, there there was no real protection. Yeah. That's right. You just went out there and oh, just smashed yeah. into each other. It was just a different game then. Yeah. If you watched that 1986 grand final, some of the things the Canterbury players were doing, like if they did that today, they'd get 10 weeks. Yeah. You know, back then it was just a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's vision of Ray Price getting knocked out. And, oh, gosh. Uh. But, yeah, with Mick Cronin, he's 69 years of age. And he coached Parramatta there for a while in the 90s, but he, he's mainly coached Gerringong in the Group 7 competition. He's done that for about 15 years, and he won five premierships with, with his side. Still works in the pub and gets reminded at times still for missing that 1977 goal in the grand final <laughs> that would have given Parramatta their first premiership. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Some things you could never live. That's there. right. <laughs> yeah. So in other sporting events, so this was a time where the Australian cricket team really struggled. Yeah. Because many of their top players, so you'd had, um, wasn't that long after, you know, Dennis Lilly and Greg Chappell and Rod Marsh retired. Yeah. And, yeah, many of their top players were involved in a rebel tour of the South Africa. Oh, yeah. so I remember South Africa couldn't play international cricket then because of their apartheid policy. Um, so they relied on these rebel tours from the West Indies and England. And yeah. Yeah, to go over there. And they had a rebel team from Australia that went over there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so Captain Alan Border, he often came to Australia's rescue to save them in yeah. certain matches. I remember there was a series against India. At home, and Australia was just completely outplayed, but they yeah. got away with the draw. The sporter just came to their rescue time and time again. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there was also a new cult hero in the name of all rounder Greg Matthews. Mm. And uh. I remember one game, it was a one day game against India, and it was a World Series cricket final. It was the first final, and Australia batted first. and it was a rain-reduced game. And Australia didn't score many, you know. And you just thought, oh, India, you know, got awesome batting line-up. They're going to get that in their sleep. Mm. And, uh, you know, the game's pretty tight and Greg Matthews comes on the bowl and he just, oh, I've never seen an off-spinner spin the ball like that in my life. Yeah. And he just tore straight through them. Uh. Yeah. And these Indian batsmen, he plays spin in their sleep. You know, uh, but he was just turning the ball like a top. You know, uh, um, yeah. And Australia went on to win that match in the one day series, and later on in the year, they there was the famous Tide Test in Madras against India. Australia toured India, and this is the famous Test match where um, Dean Jones scored that two hundred and ten in terrible heat and humidity. Yeah. And he was taken to the hospital and put on a drip and nearly died. 
Yeah. So, uh, and Alan Border's favourite comment to him, you know, famous comment when Dean Jones, you know, he was on about 200 and he didn't want to go back out there and because oh. he was just, you know, when he came into the change room, the players all had to get around him and oh, oh. he snapped the microphone flying. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah, what, what a, a catch. catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though, to put him, you know, put all this ice on him to get yeah. his body temperature down. Yeah. And he's just telling Bordy, you know, he's throwing up and, yeah. oh, you know, I can't go back out there. And Alan Border says to him, well, how about, you know, we'll get a someone tough out there. We'll get a Queenslander like Greg Ritchie. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and nah, Jones told him where to go and <laughs> went back out there and, yeah. yeah, I remember later in the year, yeah, uh, well, it was middle of the year, I think. Yeah, yeah, my dad and I were up early in the morning and we we're watching Greg Norman win the British Open. This was his first golf major. He won by five shots at even par. So this shows you how tough these British Open courses are. Like Greg Norman wins by five shots yeah. and he's at even par. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, imagine if I was played at one of those courses. Yeah. It'd be about 120 over if I was lucky. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but he was runner-up at the USPGA. He was beaten by a um, hold bunker shot by American Bob Tway. Mm. I remember watching that before I went to school one day and I think Norman blew like a five-shot lead going yeah. into that final round. And, yeah. Yeah. Early at the uh, US Masters Golf, Jack Nicholas, at the age of 46, won the US Masters. And he sank this crucial putt. I remember the commentators going, yes, sir! <laughs> <laughs> and Hawthorne won the VFL Premiership, defeating Carlton by 42 points. Hmm. And Olivia Newton-John sang the national anthem. Yeah. And in the Davis Cup final, Pat Cash came from two sets down to defeat Mikhail Pernfors of Sweden to clinch the Davis Cup for Australia. Yeah. And, yeah, I saw a, a documentary, and this is famous, you know, like famous what happened, like it's been spoken about a lot over the years, and, uh. yeah, it was cricket in the 80s, uh. and this... Uh, it was an ABC documentary. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this same day when Pat Cash came from two sets down, when everything, you know, he was gone for all money. Yeah. Um, Australia got flogged in the Boxing Day test by England. Yeah. Lost the ashes at home. And, yeah. You know, the test finished inside three days and all the Australian and Engl England players are in the dressing room, you know, sharing a beer. Mm. And they're watching the tennis and... You know, all the Pommy players are going for Sweden and the Aussie players are cheering Pat Cash. And at the end of this, um, when Pat Cash won, Bob Hawke's, you know, doing a speech, the Aussie PM, and he goes, oh, it's a pity there weren't 12, you know, 11 Pat Cashes yeah. at the MCG today. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, man, Alan Border and the Aussie players got saved. They got so angry about it, yeah. but it was like that was apparently that was their line in the sand moment. Yeah. They all had a meeting after that, and they said, "This is it, you know, this can't go on. Like it doesn't get any lower than this." <laughs> and then from that moment on, that was the rise of 
Aussie cricket. Yeah. You know? And a couple of years later, you know, they beat England on in England 4-0. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it would have been 6-0 if it wasn't for the rain. Mm. So, in World Cup football, it was played in Mexico and it was won by Argentina and Diego Maradona. He was the star of the tournament and there was that famous game against England, the Hand of God... Yeah. Where he uh, scored a goal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it came off his hand. Oh, yeah. So it's been labelled the hand of God match. Mm-hmm. And there was the Edinburgh Commonwealth Games in Scotland and only 27 nations attended. And this was due to a boycott by many African, Caribbean and Asian countries because of the Thatcher's, the, the Thatcher government's policy of keeping Britain's sporting links with apartheid South Africa. Yeah, so uh, 1986, I remember the FA Cup final and Aussie Craig Johnston, he scored a goal for Liverpool in their 3-1 win over Everton. Now, I've, um, yeah, I've, I've listened to some good stories, you know, like with uh, Craig Johnston being interviewed. Like, yeah. he's 60 years of age now. Yeah. And, yeah, he, uh, his, his parents, they sold their home, you know, when he was about 16 years of age yeah. to fund him because they thought, oh, you know, he's got, a, he's got real potential. He's going to be a soccer superstar. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they sold their home, moved into a cheaper one, so they paid for his trip to England, you know, to go try out for Middlesbrough. Uh, so Craig Johnston, uh, he, he flies over there, you know, it's up near Scotland, it's freezing cold, and he's left Newcastle in the middle of summer. And uh, <laughs> so he gets off the plane, he's really jet-lagged, he gets a train up to Middlesbrough, and then he finds out the trial is that day. So he goes to the trial... And, oh, he has an absolute shocker, yeah. you know. And at half time, he's in the change room. And the manager, Jack Charlton, he's a, like one of the most famous English footballers of all time. You know, he's a part of their 66 World Cup team. And he comes into the change room and he's, oh, he's filthy, you know. He's really angry. Yeah. And he's swearing at each player individually and he's going, he's looking at this player, your shit. You're useless. You're pathetic. And then he gets the Craig Johnston and he goes, Now, where are you from? Oh, I'm from uh, Newcastle, Australia. And Jack Charlton said to Craig Johnston, Well, you are the most pathetic footballer I've ever seen in my life. Uh. Now, hop it. (laughs) (laughs) So Craig Johnston, he's just devastated, you know. Uh. And, yeah, he ended up uh, staying in in a... in a shed, yeah, yeah, in Middlesbrough, you know, because uh, he had nowhere to live, because because he didn't make uh, made the cut, the cut, you know, he had nowhere to live, yeah. So he would, um, you know, get money by scrubbing the players' boots and getting, you know, tips and that sort of stuff. Uh, this is what I used to do when I was in England. I worked in a um, that season when I was playing cricket. I worked in a salad company and I'd scrub all the welly boots. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah, but he uh, he decided, you know, I'm not going to give up. You know, my parents have just, they're relying, you know, they, 
They've done so much for me. And he just practised and practised. You know, he used to play against these street kids and he'd... Like, he had a fascination with... Uh, he was really good at maths, you know? Yeah. And he thought, you know, like... He had to sort of invent ways of how he could become a better player. You know, uh, where, where he needed to strike the ball on his foot. Uh, you know, what angle and this sort of stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and then one day, you know, he's there about a year or two later, still, you know, just uh, not getting a game or anything. Uh, and uh, there was a virus that had swept the Middlesbrough reserve grade team. Uh, yeah, so... You know, they said, oh, you know, they, they were going to forfeit because they didn't have enough players. You know, they were all sick. Oh, let's get Skippy from the car park. <laughs> so Craig Johnson, you know, gets picked and, and comes on the field, wins the game for them, scores a couple of goals. And then not long after that, he gets picked in the Middlesbrough team. Uh. You know, 17 years of age, has a blinder in his first game against Everton. Yeah. Uh. And then, yeah, he goes on, gets picked for Liverpool and, yeah, Jack Charlton ate his words. <laughs> and he became a superstar for Liverpool. Yeah. But, yeah, I never th- – I didn't like him when he was a player because, you know, I just thought well, – because he never played for Australia. Yeah. I think, well, he's Australian. He should play for Australia. But, he, you know, he went and played for England under 21s and, yeah, so uh, – but no, you, you listen to his story all these years later and you just got so much respect for him, you know. Yeah. And he, he went on, you know, he, he went on with Liverpool and won European Cups and FA Cups and um. he retired at 27 because yeah. he wanted to go back to Australia and look after his sick um, sister. Yeah. He was really unwell. Yeah, but he went on to invent the biggest selling football boot on the planet, the Adidas Predator football boot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he just never gave up, you know, and... Mm. Yeah, so, Glenn, what happened in the world of motorsport in 1986? Yeah, 1986, well, Wayne Gardner became the head rider for Honda. Mm Mm-hmm. And he won the first round. Yeah, he won in the season of 86. He won about three races, but the other one... Or the other one, well, the most races in 86 in the championship was mm. won by Eddie Lawson. Oh, the American. Yeah. Yep. And also um, <coughs> Randy Modula. Yep. Another American. But in 86, they started um 80cc class. Which was basically, like, you know, mini bikes going around the track like a swarm of bees. There was, oh, there, yeah. there wasn't anything between them. You know, they just went, you know, like where you, when you go up to the one two fives, they start to separate a bit more than two fifties. Yeah, the two fifties, you started to get more separate groups, and then the five hundreds, you. You get the backpack, but you always say you get leaders and small mm. little groups. But the 80s were just like, <laughs> you know, going, going for about 20 odd laps. 
Yeah, so I don't know how they got to pick the winner <laughs> because I was just so matched mm. to um to the power of each one. But yeah. but basically, do they still have them? No, no, they, they dropped a couple of years later. Right. They dropped that class because, but but realistically, all the um top. 500cc races now, superbikes and that have come from those classes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they've had to come up for the ranks. Yeah, you know, it's been very rare that you've you've had someone that's gone straight onto a 500. They've had to do their time in the 250s and mm. and I don't know if the 125s are, are still going. But Casey Stoner, he, he started off as a... Dirt bike rider, didn't he? Most of them do. Yeah, yeah. Most of them do start in dirt bike, and then mm. and then you go from there. Because well, dirt bike you get to learn the skill to be able to handle the bike, and yeah, you know, when in it, yeah, when there's when you see a tree appear, you've got to get around it. So you know, you you get to learn your skills from the dirt bikes. Yeah. So when you get onto the track. Mm. When there's a bike in front of you or a bike behind you, you have to have a good... Oh, that was a big one. <laughs> That's um, one of those motorbikes going off. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, felt, I felt the building up and building up and thinking, yeah. finish this section before you sneeze. But no. I had to race off to the toilet before I was busted. Oh, there's another one. Me, <laughs> Just folks. like the other one. No, but yeah, very interesting. That yeah, yeah. The, the times and mm. throughout the eighties of, of motorbike racing. Yeah. And um, the first and only time that Volvo won the Australian Touring Car Championship. Oh, yep. Which, what? Yeah, because Holden and Ford had a lot more. Their cars were more um, aerodynamic. And the Volvo was just like a block of flats. Um, They used to call Volvos a block of flats on wheels because they were just a, a solid lump of steel. Yeah. But yeah, there was... um. Their first and only time that they, right. I think that they only did one season, but they won the manufacturing championship. Is that right? Yeah. Gee, one season. Yeah. Gosh. So yeah, whether they continued that again, oh, yeah. Mm. But there was just so much happened, you know, throughout the eighties. I think it was. uh, I'm pretty sure it was 1986. It was the final. Um, Grand Prix, because this is when Australia, you know, the Grand Prix was in Adelaide, and Australia was the last race of the year. You remember that? Yeah. And it was really open, you know, as to who would win the driving championship. Yeah. You, know, you had Nigel Mansell, Elaine Prost, Ayrton Senna, you know, so any of them could have won it. And oh. I think Mansell was leading towards the end of the race. He's going down the straight, and he. His tyres blue and, oh, and that was it. And Murray Walker's going, that is Nigel Mansell. 
That is Nigel Mansell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that. Yeah. yeah. He is a character, Murray Walker. Yeah, he Sadly was. passed away recently. Yeah. yeah. And apparently there was one race where, where he got a bit, a, um, a lot of the criticism for, for not pronouncing, yeah, getting, getting it right. Mm. But apparently the the people doing the broadcasting only gave gave him a black and white screen, yeah, instead of a colour, so yeah. he couldn't he couldn't, you know, always get it right on what car he was talking about. I think that was part of the humour too, because yeah. he was you know because <laughs> of his voice and he was so yeah. funny, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it was like, yeah. If anyone could stuff up, he could. Yeah. You know, it was accepted. Yeah. He was a character. But one thing I remember in 1986 was the Anzac Day match in rugby league. Just going away from motorsport now, but uh, they showed it on telly again this morning. And Canterbury was playing South Sydney. And Peter Kelly from Canterbury, he was just a real fuck, you know, real tough player. Uh, and uh, yeah, the very first um, tackle of the match, he gets sent off. Yeah, <laughs> uh, massive head-eye tackle on uh, South Sydney player. Uh, uh, the Canterbury went on to win the match easily. Yeah. Uh, okay, so with our "Who am I?" the answer was Pat Cash. Yeah. So what? What is Pat Cash doing now? Oh, gee, I think he's involved in some commentating and, yeah, let's have a look. Pat Cash, let's have a look what he's doing now. Uh, um, oh, I'd say, I think he's doing coaching. Yeah. Pat Cash, what are you doing now? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, um... Here we are. I'd say he'd be in his 50s. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'd be older than me. Yeah, so he's 50, 55 years of age. Yeah. Oh. Yep. I thought he was a lot older than that. So since retirement, so he, yeah, he lives in London now, that's right. Yeah. And he's the host of CNN's Tennis Focus magazine show, Open Court. Oh, yeah. This is according to Wikipedia. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, as I was right. He's worked as a TV commentator, mainly for the BBC. Yeah, but he, he still plays on the senior tours. Uh, yeah. yeah, champions tours, I think yeah. they call them. Yeah, and he won the Hall of Fame event in Newport, Rhode Island in 2006 and 2009. And he's coached some, some of the top players, such as Greg... Uh, Rosetsky and Mark Philippoussis. And he opened a tennis academy here on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's op- opening up some other tennis academies, one in Thailand, one in the Caribbean. Oh. Yep. Actually, a couple in the Caribbean. Uh-huh. Yep. And he was inducted into the Sport Australian Hall of Fame in 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay, are we up to the draw now, I think? Uh, yep. yep. 
Okay, so right, I'll go get the the time machine. Yeah, go and drag in there. I'll be back. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. There it is. Right, give it a spin. 80s, 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 80s. I think we're done all the 80s, maybe. <laughs> no, it, it's landed on something new that I've, that I've come up with. Yeah? A topic. A which, topic? Which, 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 as my, as the producer, well, so, so, I saw um a news report during the week on um, children of famous sports players oh, on what yeah. they're doing. And um, it was on this this um, Australian basketball player. I can't think of the name at the moment. But Andrew Gaze? No. no. Another one. Um, Luke Longley? Oh, no. I, I honestly <laughs> couldn't tell you at the moment. Um, I think I did too much work yesterday that drained it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, his daughter has been selected to go and play basketball in the States. Oh, okay. And she's just waiting for the clearance. Yep. To um, to do it because apparently you've got to, you've got to go over there and and do four years of university. Yeah, or college, mm. but she's been bypassed, and they wanted those selected. Her. Yeah, so next next episode will be sibling, not siblings, but um, yeah, family. Yeah, family members. Yeah, fam- yeah. of sport, famous sports yeah, players. There's so many famous ones, isn't there? Yeah, they? they've gone on. Oh yeah. gosh, you could go on all day. Yeah. The wars and. Yeah, the rapers and mm. yeah, oh, it's a great topic. Look yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Okay, so thanks for joining us for this episode of Paul's Sporting Memories. So please check out our Facebook for posts of my sporting memories, and thanks to Gold Studio Productions for producing Paul's Sporting Memories. And please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook. So it's a goodbye from Paul. Uh, it's a goodbye for Glenn. Goodbye. Bye.